Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson. Here with me, as always, is Brian Gottlieb. And I guess we should talk about last weekend where we did commentary at SCG Louisville. For the last time. I have a single tear running down my cheek right now, Jerry. If you could just see the sadness pouring out of my eyes. As for, you... for the last time, for now. Okay, for now. I like that. We'll leave the door open. Yeah, it turned out it's going to be your last show. And, uh, you know, I, I ribbed you a little bit on the broadcast, but I am going to miss doing commentary with you quite a bit. I think we had a really good time doing it together. And I understand why kind of looking for a little break from it going forward. Maybe you should share that with uh, with our listeners and let them know exactly why you chose not to do any more casts, at least for the near future. Well, you just did, basically. Okay. I am I am down to take a little bit of a break, try and travel maybe a little bit less, and figure out ways to make better content is basically my plan for the foreseeable future. Uh, Arena is kind of crushing it. The Arena Decklist Twitter account is crushing it, and Rather than just like, you know, retweet the five to 10 tweets I get per day, I would much rather, you know, try and compile that information somewhere, maybe post like pretty pictures on Instagram. And I'm working on trying to figure out the best way to do that stuff. And then, you know, maybe make some deck text, some deck guides, stuff like that, because that seems to be the content that is just going viral these days. Yeah. And I think that's a noble goal, a good goal. And also, I, I think like it's hard for me to fathom just how long you have kind of spent on the road, and you very much take it in stride and are very good at traveling. For me, it's like jarring to spend four or five days, and you'll just often take off for like a month, month and a half at a time. I could understand wanting to trim down a little bit on that after years and years and years of doing so. Yeah, it, it, I guess it is weird, huh? I never really stopped to think about it where it's like, you know, I, I'm currently in Roanoke for two weeks and I'm granted I'm in Todd Anderson's guest room, you know, so it's like I have a roof over my head and everything. It's not exactly like I'm living out of a suitcase or whatever, but I basically am. And to me, that's not strange. But yeah, I guess a lot of people would find that strange. For sure. It's been jarring. Uh, it's been one of the things I've definitely had to adjust to on the SCG tour. But yeah, it'll it'll be interesting. I definitely will miss you, although I know I have a great partner coming into the booth. And I wasn't sure when we were doing the cast if word was out yet. I didn't want to steal any thunder, but I'm going to be doing shows with Craig Kremples, who I know a lot of people really fond of his commentary that he used to do on the SCG tour. So that should be a lot of fun working with someone new. But you will certainly be missed 100%. No, I mean, you too. I definitely enjoy sitting, talking about magic, specifically with you, but... The podcast isn't going anywhere, you know, maybe we're not sitting mm-hmm. side by side or whatever. Maybe we're not all dapper, but uh, we still get to do this. And I think at the end of the day, I like this a little bit more. I agree with you. This this is like my my number one for sure. Not to say I don't enjoy doing commentary, but something special about doing this cast every week. I feel more plugged into magic than I've ever been in my entire life, just by having these long conversations, I think it brings up so much for me. It's a valuable learning tool. And I think that translates to our listeners while we're having these conversations. So I, I get what you're saying 100%. Good, good. So Craig Kremples, obviously no slouch. He has done commentary before. He he is quite good at it. Former U.S. national champion, uh, pro tour ninth place finisher, former roommate of mine. And he also beat me playing for 
a GP top eight and limited by top decking a mountain to cast Savage Beatdown with Entwine. So Craig and I go way back. That does, in fact, sound like a Savage Beatdown. Uh, yeah. So he stole a top eight from you and now he's stealing your commentary partner. What beats? Eh, maybe I gave both of them to him. I don't know. <laughs> That's interesting. You punted that one and you punted me over to him. I don't know. Whatever. It doesn't really matter. It's going to be a little bit of an adjustment, but a lot of fun for sure. Yeah, for sure. So things that are coming up when we announced the rebrand the first week of May, I talked about how uh, if you signed up for the $7 tier in the Arena Decklist Patreon, you would get a free shirt. And I'm extending that a little bit to be June 15th. And then hopefully... Uh, well, I'm, I'm shooting for either end of June or beginning of July to get the shirts out. So I'll be posting about that on social media, probably starting already by the time this podcast gets released. Very exciting. And you've got the uh, the layout all set up and these shirts are going to be dope. And I know we picked up a lot of new patrons with our transition to the Arena Deckless brand. Uh, so first of all, welcome. Thank you. Appreciate you. But if this is the first time they've kind of gotten one of our goodie packages, I think it's something that our patrons really enjoy. You know, we try and put together something cool for everyone who supports us. Oh yeah. I got, I got some other cool stuff in the works too. I'm ordering some business cards. I'm ordering some enamel pins. And if people uh, have any other ideas for things that they would like, hit me up. I think at some point I want to do like the boogie board type of stuff too, with some branding Mm -hmm. on it, but I'm not sure how exactly to get that done. We'll have to look into that. Let's not forget those awesome tokens with these squirrels showing up. You'll get plenty of me's into your mailbox, maybe oh, some yeah. Jerry's to go with it. Usually we try and sign those for our listeners. And uh, I always get a nice reaction from those. People really appreciate those tokens. Dude, and you're relevant now with Modern Horizons. I know. I, d- I didn't think this would be happening. I honestly thought my squirrel tokens would be relegated to the casual table forever. But somehow, we're back. Modern Horizons. Oh, yeah. Well, on that note, do you want to get into it? We have a second wave of previews to cover here. Yeah, a lot of new stuff this week. A lot of good stuff. Interesting stuff. What do you think about the reaction to Modern Horizons thus far? I've I've seen both sides, but that's like magic in a nutshell, right? No matter what's happening, someone's going to like it. Someone's complaining about it. What's been your interpretation of people's reaction to the set? I, I think it's like 10 sided actually, you know, it's okay. like the, the, the D and D like alignment chart basically where it's like <laughs> right. pe- people, people like it, but they think it's a commander set. People don't like it and they think it's a commander set and you kind of just like mix and match all the different things. I've seen like all sorts of opinions. Yeah. And I, I do, uh, I do recognize some of the criticisms. I think a lot of these cards will miss, but I think that's fine. You can't, you can't put 200 cards into modern. That was never going to be the goal of this set. They're intriguing. There's role players stashed away that maybe we'll come back to years from now. There's cards that'll unlock in the future with more and more printings. And, you know, do I think a lot of these cards maybe could have made it into standard? Yeah, for sure. But like standard would have been about these cards 100%. And that's not necessarily a good thing. And I, I like this way of getting new cards into the modern pool. And if it does benefit commander players, that's cool too. I don't object to that. It's new right. magic cards. How can you be upset about new magic cards? Well, I, I think if, if you open a pack 
and you are relatively happy with something that you get out of the pack because like the card goes to someone, I think that is cool. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's kind of what it seems like to me where it's like, there aren't really like garbage rares. It's like, okay, well this is a thing that goes in someone's sliver deck. This is something that goes in someone's commander deck. Like these cards are desirable. And I think that is a good trait to have. For sure. And it also lets values get distributed a little bit more evenly. So if you are presented with a tournament staple, a four of, then it's not going to cost you $100 per copy. And uh, we've already started to see some of the prices get distributed a bit more evenly than when they first opened up. And that's certainly a good thing as well. No more $70 Urzas? No, they've come down quite a bit, surprisingly. I, I would have thought that would have held forever. Who knew? <laughs> All right. Well, uh, again, we will go in Wooberg order with some gold cards, artifacts, and lands at the end. And we're going to start with On Thin Ice. This is dub for a snow enchantment aura. Enchant snow land you control. When this enters the battlefield, exile target creature and opponent controls until this leaves the battlefield. So snow chain to the rocks. Yeah, that's how I looked at it as well. And chain to the rocks with some modern pedigree. Not a lot but it does see some play in modern from time to time, uh, usually as like a burn sideboard card. And we're going back a little bit. It's been a while since we saw Chain to the Rocks. But this, much more versatile in colors that, you know, usually wouldn't have access to such things. You're not relying on mountains this time. And this is all just one big question mark until we know every single snow card in this set. And we have gotten new ones. We have gotten interesting ones but I need to know every single one before I can tell you if this is something I'm excited about. I like the fact that this counts itself as a snow permanent. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the puzzle too, right? You need more and more snow permanents to turn on your stuff. Right. So anything that like, if we had to stretch for snow permanents for things like Scred or whatever, or even the Simic Baleful Strix wannabe thing, mm-hmm. I think it would be kind of bad. But the fact that our removal spell actually counts towards these things is really cool. And you can scrying sheets into this thing. You know, you can't scrying sheets into a scred, right? I think I think this is nice. I think so, too. And I know Sam Black was writing about using uh, the five color fetch land to kind of enable some of these snow decks. That kind of synergy is interesting. And we're going to talk about some more snow cards as we go on that make me start to believe maybe you can actually have a multicolor snow deck despite the absence of snow duels because there's no snow duels coming, like like I said from the beginning. So hopefully everyone has <laughs> moved on from that idea at this point. All right, next up we have Winds of Abandon. I've seen a lot of people just like poo-pooing this card. I don't really know why. This is uh, one dub sorcery. Exile target creature you don't control. For each creature exiled this way, its controller searches their library for a basic land card. Those players put those cards onto the battlefield tap, then shuffle their libraries, overload, four dub-dub. So this is a two-mana sorcery path to exile that you can plague-wind them for six mana. Seems pretty good to me. I I mean, so two-mana sorcery speed removal, that's bad for modern. But definitely well below the rate we expect. Obviously, we have path to exile, so that makes a lot of sense. But in a lot of matchups, it's not going to make a huge difference. And in spots where you're just like in need of another removal spell for your blue white control deck, I definitely see this being reasonable. I don't think it's like jam four of these in your deck and you're happy with it. But if you are just in a position where you would have played some other spot removal spell in your sideboard, this is probably going to be the one you go to. So you get both that spot removal on turn two 
and an option in the late game. Right. And this isn't really where modern is right now, but I do see this card fitting into sideboards of something like uh Bant or any of the various like green, white collected company decks where they're pretty good at generating mana. You want some mm. spot removal for creature mirror matches. And then you just have this thing that's like completely gangbusters. Yeah, and let's not forget, too, that the deck that you primarily want sweeper effects against right now is humans, which has a knack for shutting down specific cards. So getting some more versatility out of your removal suite, uh, never a bad thing against that deck. Right, we're seeing a lot of uh, Zoria's control decks with a couple of Supreme Verdicts and then a Wrath of God and then mm-hmm. a Day of Judgment and a Cataclysmic Gear Hulk in the sideboard. Like, there's yep. a reason for that. A couple house, a couple paths, you cover all your bases. Yep. And then there are also some white uh, Chalice of the Void decks that play Declaration in Stone that could very easily play this instead. Good point. Yeah, good application and ha- there. And they have Leon and Arbiter already. So it's like it it costing two is potentially an upside when you're also trying to play Chalice on one. Yeah, this one isn't a slam dunk on rate, but it does have some applications. And I expect this to see a small amount of play for sure. Same. This is just a card where I'm like, okay, this is cool that this exists. Yep. Next up, we have Generous Gift, 2-dub instant, destroy target permanent. Its controller creates a 3-3 green elephant creature token. This is a hilarious card. and It is. Uh, <laughs> I, I like the idea of the white elephant gift, obviously. I think everyone does. But more importantly, this is a very, very flexible spell. Beast within tons and tons of modern play honestly, for years now, it's kind of been a a quiet staple, I would say. It's been there since PT Philly, like the first modern tournament people have been playing this card. Absolutely. And you see it in in Living End a lot. You see it in Scapeshift decks. But now a whole nother set of decks get access to this. And, you know, where you're concerned about breaking up Tron and in some way interacting with lands, Generous Gift going to be pretty good there. This sees play as well. I, I, I think there's no question about it. What decks are looking for it? Well, you mentioned the White Chalice decks. I think that's probably a pretty nice home in a lot of instances. It, it's going to be basically the same thing as Beast Within, where you need some way of mitigating your opponent's ability to go huge. Generous Gift is probably going to be the card you call on. Or if for some reason you're just like color pinched, but White has pretty good removal in general. So, I mean, it's not going to have that kind of application the way Beast Within does where it can deal with any size permanent. But I do think picking off lands is going to be important. Yeah, exactly. You can't necessarily play just a path to exile or a disenchant. This is kind of a catch-all. And the 3-3 is obviously a downside, but there are a lot of decks that are basically just designed to like not care about it. You know, you look at yep. the, the Boros prison decks with Ensnaring Bridge or whatever. It's like they don't care. And they they have things like Chalice of the Void in their deck. And maybe, maybe yeah, they want to blow up a Tron land or whatever. So. Sure. Wall of Omens, too, blocks effectively, so let's not forget that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so uh, another fairly versatile card. Pretty cool that it exists. Maybe I'm a little disappointed that it's just the exact same thing as Beast Within instead of, you know, something that's like a little bit different, but either way, whatever. Yeah, just a little color swap. Yeah, we don't have too many color-shifted cards in this set really. So if there's just like, you know, a few of them, that's fine with me too. I kind of wish they brought back the old planner chaos frame for the color shifted cards. Oh cool. yeah. <laughs> uh, next up, uh, last white card, we have Vesper Lark two dub two one elemental 
as flying, and when this leaves the battlefield, return target creature with power one or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. Evoke one dub. A little baby Revelark. How cute. Right. So what is the most busted thing that we can do with this? Don't know, but that was exactly where my brain <laughs> went. I'm assuming there's something that is just like an infinite combo with this Vesper Lark. Obviously, you're only getting one creature instead of two, so it's harder to put together. You can't do any type of, I mean, what we used to do, body double shenanigans back in the day or any other ridiculous Revelark combos. But I have a feeling there's something and you just have to find it. And let's see if someone does, I guess. I mean, it's awkward that this is a 2-1, right? So it'll never be able to like clone and find itself. And that's exactly why it's a 2-1. But there's got to be something you can do with this card that's just very silly that I'm not thinking of yet. Yeah, same. I haven't really gone down the rabbit hole for this one. Who's the right person to find exactly what this card does? Who's like the Revel Arc janky combo king or queen? I mean, I, I think it's basically just always Sam, but now it's always Sam. This is Sam's set, 100%. Oh, yeah. Now that Sam has carrying feeder, I think he's going to be busy for a while. Mm, good point. All right, on to the blue cards. We have Echo of Aeons for you, you mythic sorcery. Each player shuffles their hand and graveyard into their library, then draws seven cards. Flashback to you. This is a horrifying card. I mean, this is very close to Time Twister out of your graveyard. I'm not saying it's like broken and it's problematic because there's obviously ways to mitigate graveyards and there's setup that this card requires. But I'll say this, we have a critical mass of Wheel of Fortune effects currently present. The fact that this one plays out of the graveyard kind of is neat uh, with something like you use Faithless Looting and you can pitch the Wheel of Fate as well and then use like Finale to get that one back. And you have this multi-prong thing that you're setting up that's using your graveyard and is able to just generate these wheels very quickly. Obviously, I'm still in the moving pieces stage of figuring out exactly what you do with that. And that's how I've always felt about the Wheel of Fortunes, actually. It seems like they should be completely bonkers. And I'm not 100% sure what the payoff is. Any payoffs in mind for Echo of Eons? Of course, there's the Narset synergy too, which you have to talk about. Yeah, Narset is huge. For the Time Twisters and Wheel of Fortunes and even Regrowth, stuff like that, it, it's all contextual, right? Like in mm-hmm. in the olden days, you would cast Wheel of Fortune, draw a bunch of like Moxes and Ancestrals and more wheels and stuff, and you don't have that type of like busted fast mana. I really find it hard to believe that you can Time Twister and really take advantage of that. I don't know. I don't know. I I think that's the puzzle here. And I appreciate that this card presents that puzzle. I mean, you're talking about mana generation and there's some hoops you can jump through if you really want to get access to it. Uh, We're going to talk about one one such hoop later on, but most of them have very good safety valves. And it'll be interesting to see if you can kind of snap off those safety valves and just let Echo of Eons go completely bonkers I certainly am glad this card is not one that's going into standard because it just seems like you could leverage this aggressively somehow in standard. And I don't think that's going to be the case in modern just because the pace of the game, like it's going to go too quickly to really leverage Echo of Eons unless it's just doing something completely broken. This card in standard would make Arboreal Grazer too good. Uh, Arboreal Grazer could never be too good, Jerry. It's just trying to survive. Just trying to do sloth stuff. Word. I played a little bit with that card recently. And And you loved it? It was okay. Loved it with all your heart. What were you playing in? In like the blue-green Nexus builds? 
Yep. Yeah. I think it's interesting there. It goes very well with the blue finale, but not 100% sold on that deck, but a neat little synergy for sure. Yeah, doing the same kind of stuff, right? It's like you do blue-green rampy stuff, and then you play some big effect. Either it's like Krasis or uh, Nexus, and you have like Nissa Mana. And I I feel like the cards would be different, but any sort of modern deck that is trying to take advantage of this would probably look pretty similar. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Next card is Archmage's Charm. UUU Instant. Choose one. Counter target spell. Target player draws two cards. Gain control of target non-land permanent with CMC one or less. I think this card is just absolutely great. And everything a blue control deck wants, obviously extremely restrictive mana cost, whatever. We'll tolerate that. To be able to get this kind of versatility out of your blue instance, it does so many things that a blue instant is not supposed to be able to do when you get to that gain control of target non-land permanent clause. Uh, It's removal, it's artifact destruction in some instances. I, I just think this is an extremely powerful effect that's tacked onto a counter spell. So worst case, it prevents your opponent from doing what they want to do. Best case, you're generating card advantage or you're dealing with their key permanent. I would be very surprised if control decks don't make this a one or two of by default going forward. Yeah, I basically agree. There are some mono blue decks showing up on Magic Online already, and most of that is a result of things like Field of Ruin and Blast Zone, which complicate matters mm-hmm. when you start talking about UUU cards. They're, they're all obviously all playing Cryptic Command, but that's a little more palatable when Cryptic Command is actually castable with one colorless land, where... This, if you have to wait until turn four and then you have a colorless land lying around that's not really going to do anything that turn, that kind of sucks. So it's possible that this ends up feeling like more of a four mana card than a three mana card. But realistically, I think that, yeah, you play this in small numbers. You don't necessarily look to be casting it on turn three and then turn six, turn seven rolls around. You double spell with some like very powerful things. Yeah, this is a fine late game card. You are not going to be upset to see this as the game draws on uh, in much the same fashion. Cryptic Command is a fine late game card. This has a hard time going dead. Exactly. Uh, yeah, and in, in the meantime, you're taking like Death Shadows, Aether Vials, Big Champion of the Parishes. Like this card's pretty nice. Very good one drops in modern. All right, Bizarre Trade Mage, 2U, 3-4, Human Wizard, Flying. When this enters the battlefield, draw two, then discard three. This is a card that feels like it does everything, and I'm not sure I want any of it. I just don't know what I'm supposed to be doing with this, and a 3-mana 3-4 doesn't get me super excited. And the first thing I think many people will think of is like Phoenix, but that doesn't really make any sense. Phoenix is all about 1-mana spells and cantrips and velocity, and this is doing like a weird impersonation of velocity, but the investment of 3-mana is huge in modern and it kind of needs i don't want to say more game breaking but a more permanent effect on the battlefield i guess i would say and tacking on some card disadvantage quite frankly onto a three four flying body doesn't really check that box for me maybe there's something you can do in like dredge but again it just feels like the purpose of these decks is to be hyper linear hyper lean and this is kind of a jack of all trades that i don't really love in that context yeah, I agree. This is like a, a dredge vine card when, you know, if if you really wanted to be doing graveyard stuff, you should probably just be playing dredge. Right. Right. That's the problem is a lot of these cards get a little bit 
invalidated, right? Like there's just so many good one and two mana options that the bar for three mana is tremendous. And obviously we just came off a three mana card that we were both excited about, but you look at how many different things Archmage's Charm does in comparison to Bizarre Trade Mage, which is just this kind of dumb flyer that is leaving you down a card. Not really what I'm looking for right now. Yep, I agree completely. Next up, we have a reprint in Future Sight, maybe one of the most beloved magic cards of all time. This is 2UUU, five mana total. (laughs) I had to make sure I had enough U's there. Two (laughs) and three blue mana. Enchantment, play with the top card of your library revealed. You may play the top card of your library. So uh, OG Experimental Frenzy, where you actually get to keep your hand and your library is face up. Yeah, the problem is, though, that we have Experimental Frenzy and obviously very different cards. But I think for the most part, when you want this effect, you just want it online as soon as possible and you don't care that much about your hand. Like I don't see a control deck realistically using this as their card advantage engine. There's just better things to do now that Planeswalkers exist. And Future Sight comes from a time before Planeswalkers. But again, I just think you go with the versatility of Planeswalkers. This is a card that isn't going to age all that well. I feel like I've played Magus of the Future somewhere before. And I can't remember exactly where, but I think this was probably a while ago in modern. And also, it probably wasn't very good. So uh, I'm not sure if Future Sight's going to see any play here. Yeah, I basically agree with you. I do think that there are uh, some decks that could possibly maximize this a little bit more than they could a Planeswalker. You know, if you're talking about playing a bunch of Mox Opals and Mistress Bobbles and having a low land count and stuff like that, just kind of going off with future sight. Like that's one thing, you know, and Teferi doesn't really allow you to do that. Teferi or Jace. Right. But in those instances, aren't you using experimental frenzy? You certainly could, unless you had a reason, like maybe you're playing war of invention or whatever. So you want a bunch of blue pips anyway, you know, but I, I, I agree with you that in those decks, it's like, well, you're going to probably be hellbent, so why not just play Frenzy? And it's like, yeah, good point. I don't know. Is there some mm. reason to want like six Frenzies? I doubt it. I doubt it too. All right, next up, another reprint, Rebuild. To you, Instant, return all artifacts to their owner's hands, cycling two mana. What are we supposed to be doing here? I mean, we have Hercules Recall already. Obviously, that's one-sided. Rebuild gets you some combo options and maybe you can do eggs type stuff, but I don't know exactly where you're getting your mana from then. Don't see an immediate home for rebuild. And it's not the type of thing where like, this is just a spell you want access to and now you can play it because it cycles because the impact is not good enough. I think this only really has a home in dedicated combo builds. You got something for me, Jerry, you have a combo you're holding out that you want to put together with rebuild. No, I think this is just a reasonable sideboard card against prison and stuff like that, where is it Phoenix traditionally plays one Shatterstorm, but I think instead you can just play a couple copies of Rebuild and be pretty happy with that because it cycles. And now if a lot of the lists are playing like Finale of Promise, I mean, it's a lot easier to rebuy this or, you know, the random Snapcaster Mage that they play or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's also possible that it just being blue is nice where you can be like Demir or something and have an out to prison decks. And like you said, Hercules recall already exists. So that's reasonable. But again, cycling, I think is pretty decent. And I guess the other thing I would say, and this is nonsense. Old me would be all about this, but 
it gives you a different named Hercules recall for gifts on given piles. If that becomes a thing, right. I, I don't see that one coming up. But you are correct. If that gets to be modern, then something has gone very haywire. Uh, where we need different named Hercules recall for our gifts piles. But good point. I will say three mana might actually be better than two in a lot of instances when you're talking about escaping prison locks because of the presence of Chalice of the Void. Uh, a lot yeah. of times they put it on two and they're pretty safe. So that's another little point in the favor of rebuild. But I, I think this is just like another another card you're going to add to your modern binder to have as an option. Probably won't come out all that often. But if the metagame gets to a place, it'll be good to have rebuild as part of the mix. Well, what about this? Uh, in Cheerios, they'll sometimes play a Hercules Recall on top of all their retracts, right? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't, wouldn't you rather just have this instead so you could like cycle it? Yeah. And again, small small upgrade, obviously, but. Yeah, I, I think that's probably right. I'll be honest that I don't know like how important the mana efficiency of Hercules Recall is in Cheerios. Like, do you really need it to be two mana? Or can you afford for it to be three mana? I have no idea. I'm not an experienced Cheerios player, believe it or not. But cycling's a big deal, especially when you're playing a very narrow effect like this. Yeah, I think I'm more concerned about just getting hit with a discord spell or removal spell and then sitting there with a stupid Hercules recall in your hand and wanting to get rid of it. Sure. All right, on to the black cards. We have Yogmaw, Thran Physician, 2BB, Mythic, Legendary Creature, Human, Cleric. 2-4, protection from humans, pay one life, sacrifice another creature, put a minus one, minus one counter on up to one target creature and draw a card, BB, discard a card, proliferate. First, let me say that I truly appreciate that the, the mythic cycle is just that each card gets a word salad, or each color gets a word salad card. Like just all the words possible <laughs> on, on some card. So Yawgmoth, these abilities sound incredible to me if you were playing a fair game of magic. Like all this stuff together seems like it's absolutely battlefield dominating. There's value engines. There's cool stuff to be doing with Yawgmoth. But you have to first get your deck into a place where you're not just dead to the really stupid, really unfair parts of modern. If you can do that, then Yawgmoth is 100% going to take over every single game. I have my concerns, though, whether or not you can get that done. As far as, like, obviously this has the word human on it, so we have to talk about it going into humans. I don't think that's what this card is supposed to be doing, although it could be kind of a mirror breaker in some instances if that becomes important again. I think you're supposed to get graveyard value. I think you're supposed to be doing bloodgasty type stuff and... Uh, drawing bunches of cards and controlling your opponent's battlefield. And a world where we can do that stuff is so exciting to me. I keep saying that. Like, I want all these cards to be good so, so badly. I want to be able to do this type of stuff in modern. Can we, though, Jerry? That's the question. Ban graveyards, ban Urza's Tower. <laughs> ban Mox Opal, and I think we're there. Okay. I wouldn't hate that change at all. I just don't know if it works. It feels like there's there's too many other things that you could start doing. Oh, yeah. Then then Lotus Bloom becomes busted. <laughs> right. Is there any hope that these word salads get to just go play fair magic? Like I, I saw Todd Anderson posted a season Pyromancer deck today based around season Pyromancer uh, and Unearth, which we're going to get to at some point. 
And I was just like, this is everything I want to do in a magic deck. And I'm not at all convinced it's realistic to do any of it right now. (laughs) I'm excited about Yawgmoth. I think it's an incredibly interesting, incredibly powerful card, but I'm worried it's just going to get kind of tossed to the wayside as a four mana creature uh, that just doesn't win the game on its own. Are there any combos with this? I mean, the free sacrifice outlets are often good enough. Uh, the fact that this one is coming with draw a card is very nice, but obviously it's life gated. So you can't just draw your entire deck unless you're also gaining life. So like this can sacrifice your kitchen finks as part of that combo. But I, I don't think it in and of itself does anything necessarily combo rific. Someone was saying this with Giraffe's Messenger, but I think you need two messengers. Yes, because otherwise there's nothing. Yeah, you need two messengers and then it combos. And it only combos in that, like, you get to deal your opponent one point of damage and draw a card. Mm-hmm. Or you're, you you get to deal them two and you take two one. Two and you take one. Yeah, so you have to have life advantage. Not a huge one, but... Yeah, because I, I did versus live and Ross was playing Geralt's Messenger and they had to submit their decks early because of Memorial Day. So mm-hmm. uh, they missed Yawgmoth and it was like, this seems like it would be really good in this deck, but... You know, he was playing a mono black devotion deck or whatever. So, okay, that that yeah. sounds like your dream. But yes, it, there there might be commas with this. I do like it as a sacrifice engine. I do think it's really good in the humans mirror specifically. Like obviously, pro humans is good, uh, but also it lets you cash in like you know your bad thalias or noble hierarchs or whatever, and right. shrink their stuff, draw more gas. This also isn't like specifically for humans mirrors like it's just good in creature mirrors i think right so yeah i i think it could show up there i think it's definitely a high value court of calling target yeah what do you think about this card kind of well it doesn't have to take over for but working in conjunction with viscerous here in those decks and having a card that actually has good text on it and not just scry one like a card that can take over the game by itself Yeah, I mean, basically any deck that is going to end up with a bunch of like crappy creatures, I think that this is a pretty powerful card to have lying around, you know? Sure. Like if if you're playing like the Vizier combo or yeah, the Kitchen Finks combo or whatever, they're going to try and kill your important stuff, break up your combo, and then you're going to have random birds and Kitchen Finks with a counter and just nonsense in play, right? That you can just cash in for real cards, which is pretty dope. I hope we get there, Jerry. I really and truly do. Eh, maybe someday. I don't know. But yeah, maybe maybe it is just part of a broken combo deck. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. That's always the starting point for modern, right? Like, how can we break this into a million pieces? Well, especially when it has so much text, right? Mm-hmm. All right, Dead of Winter, 2B, Sorcery. All non-snow creatures get minus X, minus X until end of turn, where X is the number of snow permanents you control. Pretty good. Pretty good, especially if you're moving up above curve. Like, if there's one and two drop snow permanents that are just on the battlefield more on that in a moment we already talked about on thin ice which certainly checks that box this strikes me as a reason to be snow control maybe those five color snow control decks can leverage this card really well i still think we're waiting for that final payoff there has to be some ultra slam dunk and it can't just be like scrying sheets although trust me i'm interested in scrying sheets that sounds like exactly my (laughs) type of magic Um, I'm not, but but whatever. There's got to be a bigger slam dunk at the end of the tunnel. But more and more pieces for the snow strategies. Also, like 
are you ever just going to get completely wrecked because your opponent has a snow creature in play and you can't deal with it with dead appointer? Ooh, that would be nice. If there was just like some just below rate snow creature that people could put in their decks. Mm. Just wreck you. Yeah, I don't think that'll ever be the case. But uh, this is a cool card, cool call out to like mutilate style effects. And I don't want to keep saying this, but I hope this is a good card. <laughs> that's that's my take on so many of these cards. I want them to be good very badly. But this is all about the support. Still unlocking that puzzle. Yep. Next up, we have Nether Spirit. 1BB, 2-2 two, two Spirits. At the beginning of your upkeep, if Nether Spirit is the only creature card in your graveyard, you may return Nether Spirit to the battlefield. And this is literally my favorite magic card of all time. Right. And we talked about this in the pre-show. Why don't you just tell our listeners what you told me, basically? I am going to try to never even get tempted to put this into a deck (laughs) because I feel like playing with it will make it very clear how weak it is. And then all of my nostalgia for playing with this card will just be completely and utterly annihilated. Yeah, I, I know you love this card more than anything, and I, I want it to be there for you, but it's not going to be there. Nether go, not going to be a thing again. No, no, but regardless, I think it could, it's fine in A-Rack, right? You play this as your only creature or whatever, cool. Yeah, but is that even good? Like, it, it's there, that's fine, but like, yes, it's you're just, good. you're just racking them. Like, you don't care about Nether Spirit. Another spirit blocks, dude. And you know how much damage Mutavolt gets in? Like, this is Mutavolt that doesn't die. And it's, it's just okay. like a value discard, too. Like, the deck doesn't have many value discards. Like, you're casting Smallpox and Liliana the Veil and stuff. It makes sense to have one. It's Are they entirely creatureless presently? They they don't have a single creature in the default builds? S- some of them have Dark Confidant, but I don't really like that. And okay. I know that Tom Ross doesn't either. So, if you don't trust me, you should trust him. Yeah, definitely trust Tom Ross, the eight rack expert. Okay, I'll give you your one nether spirit in eight rack. Does that mean we can look forward to you registering eight rack at every modern tournament going forward? God, no. <laughs> don't don't have the constitution for that, huh? I will almost never draw first in modern, just out of principle. Okay. And that's that's what Tom wants people to do. Well, it's a tough it, lot in life. He used to want people to do that. I, I think things have changed now. The format sped up a little bit where he's like, oh, yeah, you can't do that anymore. Okay. Anyway, uh, another reprint, Carrion Feeder, B11 Zombie. Carrion Feeder can't block, sack a creature, put a plus one, plus one counter on this. So innocuous, but so good. Yeah, this is a card that can matter a lot. Like a lot, a lot. Because it enables so many combos. It's very cheap. It's a much realer card than Viscerous Seer. We're sitting here talking about Yawgmoth. This is probably the card that replaces viscerous seer because it actually does things and all those you know bad aggro games that you had to play as these court of calling decks they get so much better by virtue of having access to carry and feeder uh not to mention just like the silly busted stuff this card does and like zombie synergies and all that kind of good stuff when you do the kitchen finks combo stuff it is nice to have viscerous seer so that you can set up your library to actually kill them on the following turn Sure. Some people can beat infinite life. So I'm not sure that this necessarily slots in 100% over Viscerous Seer. And there's also the games playing. It's like control decks where they're killing your stuff and you're sacking it to scry for value and stuff. So Okay. So do you want this more in a zombie shell then? Like good old fair magic again? Mono black beatdown? 
yeah, can I play Carrion Feeder, Grave Crawler, and Crypt Breaker? Because that would be the dream. Some Cabal Therapists for Spice. Sure. I mean, that sounds like a deck that could definitely get you like a 3-2 in a Magic League, for sure. Dude, that sounds like gas. <laughs> I get my no, money I don't, back I don't in a bonus chest. It, it might be fine. Uh, obviously, Black Disruption paired with a bunch of very, very cheap creatures. You mentioned all basically one drops that pair very well together is somewhat enticing. Like that's closer to a modern strategy than a lot of these other cards feel like because we're dealing with all one drops. And as soon as you start talking one drops, you're talking modern. So I'm somewhat interested in what you're selling right now. Uh, I will wait for the Sam Black final take on this deck and then try it out. I mean, what is humans, right? It's it's a turn four goldfish that has some disruption. Mm -hmm. I think we can beat that. Maybe. It's it's quite possible you'll get a different style of disruption too, where discard is particularly strong as opposed to taxing effects. You'll definitely benefit from that. So we'll have to see. We'll have to see exactly how this slots in. Just put Thalia in your zombie deck, whatever. Okay, sure. That's That's been a tried and tested tribal strategy across both modern and legacy for some time now. We're just, oops, I have Thalia on top of this tribal synergy. Thalia is the best card. Yeah. Uh, next card is Plague Engineer to be 2-2 Carrier, Death Touch. As this enters the battlefield, choose a creature type. Creatures of the chosen type your opponents control get minus one, minus one. Oh, sorry about that zombie deck, Jerry. It's it's dead before it even started because the Plague no, I'll, Engineer I'll kill it. has I'll arrived. kill it. And my carrying feeders are 10-10s, so it's fine. Okay, you're safe then. This is a cool card. Tribal synergies. I mean... They tend to be a little bit bigger in modern, although I think this is okay naming humans in a bunch of spots and you'll get a nice two for one. And I don't know if it's just like this is a staple of every black base sideboard in modern going forward. It's probably metagame based, but yeah, happy this card's around. It certainly is a good check when tribal strategies are a little bit too good, which hasn't been the case for most of modern's life, but you never know when it's going to get there. Yeah, obviously not good once they already have like a 5-5 five, five champion and a 3-3 three, three Thalia's lieutenant and stuff like that. Like you shrink them a little bit, but that's not really accomplishing a whole lot. But mm-hmm. if you get to go like kill your champion into play this or they play turn two Thalia, you play this. I think that's pretty incredible, but it certainly has a fail case, which is nice. And you can also interact with it a little bit easier than you could Engineered Plague. And Of course. Engineered Plague was just kind of like busted and stupid, so... Yeah, it led to a lot of non-games, and this has a little bit more counterplay, probably necessary for a good, healthy format. Yeah, and if the format is super bad, you could potentially just play this main deck as a 2-2 death touch, like trade with the Tarmogoy for whatever. But again, maybe maybe that's the relic of an older format. Not a whole lot of Tarmogoyfs. A little bit of old magic there. All right, next up, Unearth, another reprint. Uh, I've played this in Legacy a couple of times. B, Sorcery, return target creature card with converted mana cost three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield, and it cycles for two. Ooh, this is I'm over here fanning myself right now, Jerry. This is, this is a big one for me. I like Unearth a lot. I love the Snapcaster Mage nonsense you can get up to with it. I love that there is Dreadhorde Arcanist. There is Season Pyromancer. There's all these cards. This was Todd Anderson's deck, basically. And I just saw it and my jaw dropped and I was absolutely in love. And then I thought about it a little bit more and I'm like, well, Arc Like Phoenix is a card and you could just do that instead of all this stuff. And it's 
probably way better and way more reliable. And uh, I hope there's an unearth puzzle to solve because that is just good, clean, fair magic, the type that modern is so desperately missing. I want something that looks like Grixis in Legacy, essentially, uh, Colligan's Command, all that good stuff. And if that can work, Unearth's probably a big part of it. See, that's the thing with this card, and I guess a lot of cards in this set, where it's like, especially with this one, we've played it before. We've tried to make it work. And granted, since then, there have been some new prints, including cards that are in this set, like you mentioned, Season Pyromancer, which I think is a very strong option. But this card always seemed to fall short for me, and that's when you had Tarmogoyf, Baleful Strix, Snapcaster Mage. So... Granted, this is modern, not legacy. There's there's a, a lower bar, but right. at the same time, it's just like, oh man, are we really going to do this? Are we really going to try out a bunch of janky unearth decks that are about getting like a little bit of value and they're just eventually, you know, going to prove to be not quite good enough? Yeah, and then they play Karn and you're like, oh, <laughs> my value didn't matter that much. That's the drag and the thing that I keep coming across as I try and build these Modern Horizons-based decks. There's a lot of limitations on the format. It's our job to break them, though, and we'll see if we can do so. I really hope Unearth gets there. I really, really do. I know I keep saying that, but it, it's just fun magic. Like that's, that's what I think of when I'm thinking of Snapcaster Mage and interesting Grixis decks. And you, know, you mentioned the legacy thing. It's fair that it didn't work there with more powerful options, but if the format powers down, is that better? Like you can't just get killed on turn one, so on Earth matters a little bit more. Although I say that, and you can definitely just get killed in turn one on modern, so maybe it just doesn't even apply anymore. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. The other thing to note with this is that there is claim fame, but that only gets CMC two or less. Mm -hmm. And I think the gap between two and three is pretty big. And it's it's possible that not just season Pyromancer, but like you start looking at what other three drops you could potentially be using this with for modern specifically. And I th- I think that that list is probably pretty extensive, mm. but claim fame already saw some fringe sideboard play. Granted, like the the other side of it was kind of useful because you were using this to like return a death shadow and give it haste. But regardless, like there is some precedent for that sort of effect seeing play. And I do think that. If Season Pyromancer makes its way into Mardu, then you will likely play a copy or two of Unearth. Cool. I hope that happens. Oh, man. Me too. Me too. Unfortunately, we can't get uh, another spirit in that deck, but. No, not going to work out for you. Are you faithless looting another spirit? Come on, let's go. No, 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 no. Just, Jerry, you said you weren't going to do this to yourself. Don't subject yourself to the pain of another spirit that doesn't do what you want it to. I, I think. My suffering is entertainment, and this is primarily an entertainment podcast. Okay, that's fair. All right, next up, last black card, Charming Vampire. BB11, obviously a vampire. When this or another creature dies, put a plus one, plus one counter on each vampire you control. Oh, we we vampire tribal now? Is that what's happening? Vampire, what is it? Nocturnus? Is that the the huge lord, the four mana lord? Yeah, I mean, Vampires has some 5-0s in its history. Not a lot, for sure. Uh, And that was when Modern was a little bit more fair. This card, I think, is probably stronger than it looks because it's just, it's any creature dying. And there are things like Bloodgast and now you have Carrion Feeder. But it's like, what are the vampires that you are pumping? You need 
something that is actually playable that you would want to put in your deck first. Yeah, what's what's the best vampire? It is Bloodgast, I think. Okay. Well, that's nice. I think you need more than that, though, before you're selling me on Captivating Vampire. Although, tribe to keep an eye on in the future. Yeah, Viscerous Seers of Vampire too. so I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's good, but it is uh, some powerful words, I think. Okay. We'll see if they ever come together to make anything. On to the green cards. We have Hex Drinker, G21 Mythic Rare Snake. This has uh, level up one, which is put a level counter on this. Level up only as a sorcery. And from level three through seven, it is a four, four with protection from instance. And level eight and up, it is a six, six with protection from everything. Oh, a little baby progenitus. Yeah. What's, what's one head. What's with the baby theme in this set where there's a baby Revelark? Baby Revelark. Baby progenitus. This card's cool. It does not fit into the context of modern whatsoever. I've never seen a card that feels more like not at home. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do with this. Like there's no green beatdown deck. This is worse than most of the threats in Jund, I think. So like playing oh, yeah. this there doesn't do a whole lot for me. I guess it's cool that you can find it with the Eoses. That's that's good. It's a lot of power in the late game from your one drop. I don't know. I'm saying a lot of words to mask the fact that I really don't think this card is going to see any play. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, just kind of a cool card. I, I guess protection from everything means that it has to be mythic. Yeah, that's probably reasonable, although it's so gated here and there's there's no cheating. Like you just got to pay eight or you're not getting the six, six protection from everything. So, right. All right. That's a letdown. All right. Sorry. Uh, collector oof. Collector oof. One G, two, two oof. Activated abilities of artifacts can't be activated. This card is going to see hella play. Right. Null rod on a body. Uh, obviously a bit more fragile, but yeah, this is a incredible effect several decks want access to this yeah what's what's there really more to say we've seen stony silence you know how good it is you've seen null rod you know how good it is if activated abilities of artifacts become problematic in your green deck go get your collector oofs you'll be happy you did court of calling collected company just everything yeah plenty of tutors in green that'll be able to reliably find this card all right next up crashing footfalls no mana costs, sorcery, suspend four for G, and this creates two four four green rhino creature tokens with trample. You know what I think about this card? I, this might be a reference that misses almost everyone. Back in the day, in Duelist Magazine, when they were like previewing a new set, they do so with like the most incredible descriptions possible that would just be jaw dropping. And I remember specifically the previews for Mirage and before giving any context, any pictures of the cards, they would be like, read Duelist next month and we'll reveal cards from Mirage, including a one mana, 12, 12, a zero mana artifact that taps for three mana. Obviously they would go on to be Phyrexian Dreadnought and Lion's Eye Diamond, which had some hoops to jump through to say the least. Crashing Footfalls reminds me of a card you do that type of preview for. Like a one mana, eight, eight worth of power and toughness. And I just don't think it matters at all. But it's it's kind of cool to get that much 
power and toughness out of just one mana expended. And obviously this is free, so you can talk about all the free stuff that you can do with As Foretold or Electrodominance. I still don't think that's quite good enough, though, to make Crashing Footfalls matter. I think I might try and build too many decks around this card. What do you want to do with it in particular? No, just like a f- more fair As Foretold deck that isn't trying to jump through a million hoops to like restore balance or living end and... Mm-hmm. That way you don't have to play so many bad cards. Is this good enough on its own? Do the 4-4 bodies matter? I mean, obviously you need to account for what the rest of the format does. So you need some way of stopping phoenixes from killing you all the time. And looks pretty terrible of in the course. face of Thing in the Ice. And I, I, again, the format hurdles feel very big for this card. Even if on its face, it looks really nice. Like The thing I would love to do is play some kind of pure control strategy where you suspend this on turn one get your stuff set up over the next few turns, and then this is how you end the game. That feels like some old magic, like next level blue type stuff from back in the day that probably isn't going to work these days, but I would love it if it could. Yeah, same. Uh, as we're told, it's just a card that I have to work work on a little bit more, or a lot more, actually. I think we all do. There's something there. The card is very intriguing, and... Mm-hmm. With Ancestral Vision and basically, you know, whatever else you want to do, whether it's Restore Balance Living End or even this, I think now you have enough pieces that you can actually build a coherent deck around it and have it not be just completely heinous, but we'll see. Yeah. Next card is a reprint, Genesis 4G 4-4 Creature Incarnation at the beginning of your upkeep. If Genesis is in your graveyard, you may pay 2G. If you do, return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand. Genesis E-Witness. Let's go. Let's do it. Get those value engines turning nice and slow the way magic is meant to be played. Just a little bit of value turn by turn. Yeah, we talked about this on the broadcast uh, last week in Louisville, and the only thing that I could come up with was this as a traverse target in a Death Shadow deck that also played Faithless Looting. And I like that. I think that's a good application, a good way for those decks to go long and get some value. Those decks aren't aren't seeing much play right now, but that could change. I think that's a modern power level strategy for sure. It just doesn't line up particularly well against things like humans. So uh, if the meta is right, maybe we'll see one of Genesis in a few. I don't know if it's a main deck or a sideboard thing. I feel like it's probably a sideboard thing. It's a sideboard thing. The, The amount of decks out there that you actually want to grind against is very low. Yeah, very true. Last green card. This is a weird one. Weather the Storm, 1G instant, you gain three life, and of course, it has Storm. Well, so my first instinct is to say there's not much you can do with this one, and probably doesn't matter all that much. But, like you said, it has Storm, and every Storm card uh, turns out to have some use eventually. We're seeing Haze of Rage starting to see some legacy play, and you played Ground Rift at a Pro Tour, so every Storm card does something I have a feeling whether the storm will be no different. Do I know what it is yet? No, I have no idea what this card is supposed to do. I mean, you could make it compare favorably to like life goes on from the Phoenix decks in the late game, which is kind of cool. The the value boost there is even larger if you can wait to like turn four, turn five, um, certainly be gaining, you know, 12, 15 life pretty reliably. I don't know if you can really afford to make that kind of investment but could check burn a little bit from those decks if you really have to. Yeah, that's mainly what I was thinking about too, where 
if you respond to any burn spell, you're gaining six life for two mana. And then the longer the game goes on, the more scary this gets to be as a top deck against them specifically. And right. In theory, you know, Storm is is going off. If they only have Grape Shot to kill you with, it's like very difficult to kill you through this card, which is kind of cute. Yeah, that's cool. I like that as like a little bit of counter magic kind of. I don't I don't know if it's actually going to work. I mean, a lot of times the storm kills can be somewhat arbitrary, but maybe, maybe there's enough there to make it happen. And maybe it could just catch your opponent if they play sloppily. But isn't there kind of like an arms race effect where now the storm player should always be cognizant of whether the storm and think about how to set up around it? Or do you just have to play into it and be like, well, they have it. I get blown out a little bit. No, nah, it depends on the game. And I also think most poor sport games are just going to be about empty the warrens anyway. So mm. this is a card that you would want game one against them, you know, and you're just never going to have it. Right. Uh, the other application, the other application that is terrifying is in Neoform. Oh, so you get a little bit deeper into your library. If you saw Matt Sugan's list, it was actually playing A Life Goes On this week to enable more pulls from the Gristle brand. The mana is tough because you don't really want to burn your Simeon Spirit Guides once you start going off if you want to win on the same turn. Agreed. So I'll have to think about that one a little bit more. I, I think the one mana of Life Goes On might be a little bit more appealing. Um, but Weather the Storm could potentially buy you time in a lot of spots where that deck uh, needs it because it fizzles freaking constantly. I don't, I don't want to talk about New Year Form. You're going to get me upset, Jerry. <laughs> Let's just move on. Regardless, this card with Gristle Brand is kind of scary. Yeah. I agree. It could do some stuff. And that's like the big pull on this card. If you can find a way to convert your life total to resources, then whether the storm starts looking real attractive, maybe like Bolas's Citadel type type stuff. Oh, sure. Yeah, that sounds great there. All right. On to the red cards. We have Aria Flame. This was around last week, but didn't have an actual English translation. And now we have the English card. So two R enchantment. When this enters the battlefield, each opponent gains 10 life. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, put a verse counter on this. Then it deals damage equal to the number of verse counters on it to target player or planeswalker. So you have to cast four spells to get your initial boost back. I don't know. I mean, this is just like, this is probably a fine kill card for the storm decks. I just don't know if it changes anything for them, like actually makes them more efficient or better. It seems like it's a little bit more vulnerable. And if you can do Aria Flame stuff, you can probably do Pyromancer Ascension stuff. So I, I get the sense this probably just misses. I, I don't know. What do you have for me on Aria Flame? Uh, a few things. First of all is no graveyard. Okay, good point. <laughs> Second, uh, a lot of people pointed this out when I was doing Versus Live the other day. Uh, this could potentially be a sideboard card against specifically Death Shadow. <laughs> That's interesting. Wrath their <laughs> which is yeah, which is kind of hilarious. Yeah, I like it. Other thing is that if Burn is facing cards like Core Firewalker or Life Goes On, like some amount of actual hate, I think this card is like actually reasonable for them. And then there are also some versions of the Mono Red Phoenix deck where it's kind of the same thing, where it's like you know maybe you're good at dealing twenty and they gain six to 10 life or whatever. And now you just have this thing that goes like way over the top that are life gain. Yeah, but it needs to go long to do so. That's the problem. And I think the situations where you'll get to do that, they're probably a little thin. Also at the point you want to play this, you've expended some resources already. So it's not like your hand is just stocked when you're Aria flaming, unless you're talking about like 
basically redefining the way you approach the game in post-board games and doing nothing until you Aria of Flame and just trying to blow them up on on turns like four, five, and six. But that feels pretty slow. And I don't, I don't know. I, I like your point about graveyards. I think that's a very relevant one. As far as the burn stuff, I'm not quite seeing it yet, but maybe I'll be convinced over time. Well, when all of your cards deal three, and now you have this card that makes your cards deal six, I think that's worth looking at. Just it, it depends on what kind of resistance you're fighting against, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, next card, we have Pashalik Mons, 2R22 Legendary Creature, Goblin Warrior. Whenever this or another goblin you control dies, this deals one to any target. 3R, sack a goblin, create two, one, one red goblin creature tokens. So, is this it, Jerry? Of, is this the value engine we've been waiting for? <laughs> sort of Judith esque, but it does count tokens, which is cool. It does. This is a fine, this is a fine matron target, right? Yeah. Obviously, very good with Skirk Prospector. Yeah, it, it's fine. I don't think it pushes to the level that makes goblins modern playable. It, it's fine. That. It's fine. I'm sure there will be one of these in most goblins decks. Uh, gives you a way to really generate some resources, go long, deals damage, makes bodies. That's the type of value engine you're looking for if you're going to play a legacy style goblins deck where you just have this grindy inevitability. But it doesn't complete the puzzle on its own. Still needs some more pieces. So I will... Reserve judgment on all goblins until I have all goblins that are coming. Yes. Last red card, shenanigans, 1R, sorcery, <laughs> destroy target artifact, dredge 1. That is the most ridiculous card name in the history of magic, shenanigans. They had to do it at some point, right? I guess so, yeah. Th- this card matters a lot. Like, a lot, a lot. This is a very, very impactful modern card, which I think is funny because it's, one, a common to kind of unassuming not its face, but this could just be about it for stuff like Lantern. It's obviously super strong against Affinity. You're very happy to see this card. And it doesn't compare super favorably to like the hammers there, things like Shatterstorm. But I think the prison decks, it's really, really strong against. Yeah, they're not drawing a lock piece every turn, you know, and they can't you know, like lantern this away or whatever, they have to actually go after your graveyard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, forces them to always have graveyard hate if they're going to actually lock you down, which is a big change. Yep. On to the goal cards. We have Kess Dissident Mage, a reprint. Uh, notable that this card was only available in foil before, so now you can get non-foil copies and actually play with them. This is one UBR 3-4, Legendary Creature, Human Wizard, Flying. During each of your turns, you may cast an instant or sorcery card from your graveyard. If a card was cast this way, if a card cast this way, would be put in your graveyard exile instead. So every turn, uh, each of your turns, you get to Snapcaster Mage, effectively, 4-mana, 3-4 Flyer. So I know this card has legacy pedigree and was, like, presumably fine there. I should be more excited about this in modern but I'm not really feeling it yet, and I'm not sure why. So can you sell me on this card? You're not a Grixis guy. Uh, Basically, when uh, I was playing a lot of Grixis, it was around like GP Oklahoma City. Twin was still legal. Uh, Had, you know, some Jace Runes Prodigies, some Snapcaster Mages, Discard Counterspells, Kolagon's Command, Mm -hmm. a couple Tassigers. 
And then I had some four drops that were Pia and Kieran Nalar. And those were fine. Like they were good against Infect and Affinity and stuff like that. It was kind of like the Red Lingering Souls. And I think this card would just be a much better version of that where you want this thing that helps you stabilize and also closes the game. So you can't necessarily go with just mono Jace the Mind Sculptors, right? Uh, So having this having this thing that blocks and then obviously over the the course of a couple turns, like this thing is going to take over. You're going to be able to reuse every single removal spell you have. If you're playing against just a creature deck, then they're they're probably just dead. And it's also good with discard. You could play this on, you know, turn five and inquisition them or thought seize them or whatever. Like this card is powerful. Yeah, I certainly can see that point. Does the absence of brainstorm make this card any worse? I mean, obviously it makes it somewhat worse, but is it a damning indictment of the card? Did you ever play with Yogmoth's agenda? No. Oh, okay. That's <laughs> which which card is Yogmoth's agenda? Why can I not even think of the card right now? Uh, it's three BB invasion rare. You can play cards from your graveyard and uh, during each spell or during each turn, you can only cast one card. I don't recall ever having played with that card. No, this, this was like the big finisher for a lot of different control decks. Okay. And it's just unlocking your entire graveyard for the rest of the game is huge. Okay. Well, Despite not playing a lot of Legacy Grixis, I have played a lot of Modern Grixis, uh, even when it was quite bad. I was always a big fan of the Corey Burkhart style of Grixis um, that only he could win with. But I tried my best and didn't win all that often. But if this makes it possible to play that style of deck again, I will certainly be very happy about that. All right, next up we have Renin 6, brand new Planeswalker, RG, three starting loyalty, plus one, Return up to one target land card from your graveyard to your hand. Minus one. This deals one damage to any target. And minus seven. You get an emblem with instant and sorcery cards in your graveyard have retrace. This card has to be good, right? Like it's a two mana planeswalker that actually does something. And I will say I hesitated a bit before we got the cycling lands, which we're going to talk about in just a moment. I thought this card would be a little bit narrow. But I'm just thinking about spots where, like, you're on the play, they play Hierarch, you play Renin 6, and the game feels like it gets out of control from that point very, very quickly. And again, this is fair magic, so there's that problem that you have to overcome. Things get unfair real quickly when you're doing land graveyard-based shenanigans. And if we're going to use these cycling lands as a value engine and do life from the loam type stuff and maybe even get to, like, seismic assault or something akin to that at some point maybe it'll be uh the vortex now instead since it only costs one mana ren and six is going to be a huge part of that and i am closer to believing in this fair strategy than most of the other ones we've talked about i'll say that mostly on the back of cards like ren and six and of course the cycling lands cool uh yeah i'm, I'm excited to see it i don't know exactly what these sorts of decks are going to look like i do know that for the minus seven I think the most obvious thing is lightning bolt where it will kill them very quickly. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm assuming if you get this emblem, you win the game. It just has to read that way. So you think that unlocking your graveyard wins the game? I I think so. If your deck is, (laughs) if it's built around these cards, like if you're life from the loaming, you should certainly be able to go to town with Ren and six. 
word. I was just calling referencing Kess. I gotcha. Yeah. Kess is only one card, Jerry. This is all the cards. <laughs> I'm a man of quantity, well, not quality. One card each turn. I don't know. No, that's true. All right, next up, uh, reprint Eladomri's Call, G-Dub, Instant, search your library for a creature card, reveal that card, put it in your hand, then shuffle your library. Obviously, we have a bunch of different green tutor things. What do you think, if anything, sets this apart? Uh, just like raw efficiency, basically. Two mana, instant speed. It feels like you will always have the piece you're looking for, and you can always get it out of the blue maximizing your mana both across your turn and your opponent's turn it puts them in a tight spot in conjunction with the other instant speed effects that the deck has access to maybe it's just like this is the critical mass of tutors we've been waiting for for these green white combo decks the mostly i'm thinking vizier for this call card that's the real exciting get where you're able to always have your devoted druid always have your vizier uh, and then go to town from there it, it seems like this should upgrade that style of deck quite a bit. Yeah, we'll almost certainly see play at some point. Mm -hmm. That's my guess. All right, next up, we got Fallen Shinobi. 3UB, 5-4, Zombie Ninja, Ninjutsu, 2UB. Whenever this deals combat damage to a player, that player exiles the top two cards of their library until end of turn. You may play those cards without paying their mana costs. Go to town, Jerry. You're you're the ninja guy on the show. You love all of these cards. And I also love this card. I think it's probably quite good. But talk about it. Tell them what you want to do with it. It's four mana. Four mana is a lot. You also need to be hitting them with a spell starter or Vendillion click or something like that. But once you connect with this, it hits really hard, probably kills them very quickly. And it's like you, you've gotten hit with Thief of Sanity before, right? Doesn't like, feel good. Do you do you ever just want to like concede? Yes. That's kind of how this card is going to be too. I mean, obviously it's expensive and maybe the cards you hit off Fallen Shinobi are like a Memnite and a Signal Pest or whatever, but <laughs> it, it's also it's also possible that you, you know, hit Lightning Bolt and Thoughtseize or whatever. I don't know. But That's in, that's interesting and something I hadn't thought about. When you hit with a Thief of Sanity, cards in standard are very much like playable on rate. Like they are just good magic cards. Yes. They have dramatic effect. Cards in modern are not always like that. Like you hit Neoform Allosaurus Rider and well, Allosaurus Rider has text, but you get what I'm saying. Like these cards come together in unique ways that make them powerful. It's not just about like, this is a good magic card. And I wonder how often that's going to hold Fallen Shinobi back. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's definitely an interesting card. And I'm sure there are going to be like some absurd moments where you spike an Emrakul or right. something, but if you were looking for a clock for your fairies type deck, I think you have it now. Cool. I'm looking forward to seeing what this card can do. All right. Then we got Hogak. Yep. Is it Hogak? I like Gak better. Okay. Hogak. Arisen Necropolis. 5HH where H is Golgari. So either uh, green or black mana. 8-8. Legendary creature avatar. You cannot spend mana to cast the spell. Convoke, delve, you may cast this from your graveyard, trample. I am quite sure that Dredge can play this card if they want to. Like, I, I don't think they'll have a problem casting this pretty reliably. It's just, do they need to? Like, does it matter? And in some instances, like, this body probably can matter. I'm thinking of spots where just like you need to have the biggest thing on the battlefield and 
that's what actually you're trying to achieve. It also, back when the card was played, did a nice job of getting through Aurak Champion, which isn't really a thing anymore, I guess. But now that they have Blast Zone. But if that was still a problem, this would be an answer to it. And that's kind of my point, is that I don't know what this is solving for Dredge. It's it's doable. It works. I'm just not sure it changes anything. Yeah, it's interesting. I This card is obviously super weird. Uh, I thought more about like the dredge vine decks because they're more interested in actual creature combat than actual dredge is but again that deck might just be a worse dredge deck Mm -hmm. but we'll see i'm gonna build some decks see how fast i can actually put this thing onto the battlefield kind of sucks that it's legendary actually i wish i could you know get rewarded for milling over a bunch of them right and just jam them all on the battlefield yeah maybe maybe it'll just end up being like a one of in dredge that they're happy to have access to in certain spots and if not it's just in the bin. You don't really have to worry about it. It's a another way to get back those prized amalgams, although you do already have to have something on the battlefield if this is going to do anything. So I don't know. I, I just don't know what games it fundamentally changes. That's what I have to figure out. Is prized amalgam enters the battlefield from the graveyard? Oh, so you're saying maybe this doesn't work because you're casting Yeah, because you're, you're, you're casting Ooh. it and... If it entered from your graveyard or you cast it from your graveyard. Ooh, nice. Yeah, it specifically says nice. that. So we're safe. This will bring back the amalgams. Yeah, it does work with Gravecrawler, so that makes sense. Okay. Nice. All right. Uh, last gold card, Kaya's Guile. One dub B instant. Choose two. Each opponent sacrifices a creature. Exile all cards from each opponent's graveyard. Create a 1-1 white and black spirit creature token with flying. You gain four life. Entwine three. So choose all if you pay the entwine cost for six mana total. A lot of words on that there card. And this kind of calls back to a principle in modern sideboarding that was certainly true at one point in modern's life. And I'm not quite as sure it rings true these days, but for a long time, you were super incentivized to play things like, say, Rakdos Charm, because it was a sideboard card that you could use against Affinity. It was one you could use against Splinter Twin. It had all these applications. You could use it to hate graveyards. And just the fact that it covered so much meant that even though it was never the best card, you were still incentivized to go down that route and just make sure you had everything covered. It feels like that's changed a little bit. (laughs) Like now you want hammers and you can cover things much more aggressively with just like these slam dunk cards. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm overstating that fact and maybe it is still about versatility. What do you think? I think it varies based on deck and like what the deck is trying to do. But for the most part, I think you're right where decks like Tron and Dredge, they've kind of reached their final form, right? Like they are very powerful. They are seeing more play than just, you know, every deck is 3% of the field or whatever. So you have to be versatile. Mm-hmm. I do think that we're kind of in that camp and you see this with like the human sideboards, right? They're just like, well, four Oriok champion, four damping sphere, right. Three deputies, and then some stragglers. And I, I think that is just a product of where we are. Yeah. You said it very well. These decks have gotten too good. So like old dredge decks, you could effectively target with something like Rakdos charm. Present dredge decks are not going to fold in the face of Kaya's guile. They will beat it very easily and it will, be unlikely to matter. And that's the problem. You need your sideboard cards to matter. You can't just cover everything and you need to make some calls. You need to have some weaknesses. That's just where modern's at presently. Yeah. I think if this, 
if you treat this like a Colagon's command type of thing where it's like, is this good enough to play in your main deck? Cool. If not, maybe you play one copy in your sideboard because of the versatility, but that's about it. And I think that overall, these modes are weaker than Colagon's command, which it was a, certainly a fine place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just means that the format will be need to be in a very specific place. So like you'll need the edict. Maybe there are X ones where the spirit matters. Right. Graveyards will have to be big. Burn will have to be big. Right. Cause you play against, I don't know, like a Jund mirror and this is fine. You get to edict or Tarmogoyf, make a one, one that pressures Liliana or whatever. But like against an actual control deck, this doesn't accomplish a whole lot. Right. Like this card is not good against everyone. Right. Virtual blank there. So yeah, I, I think it's just not covering enough bases to be main deck playable, not strong enough to be sideboard playable. Mostly going to pass on this one. I like that it exists, though. Sure. Options are good. On to the artifacts. Sword of Truth and Justice. Uh, three mana artifact equipment. Equipped creature gets plus two, plus two. It has protection from white and blue. Whenever equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you could or on a creature you control. Then proliferate and equips for two mana. Bah, over it. it. Just doesn't do enough. Like this is this doesn't feel like this feels like a version of a sword that would be safe to print in standard, which is weird because the swords have historically been so powerful. Um, although in the present standard, this would be kind of insane. Now that I think about it, most standards it would be okay to put this on a creature, but I don't think this has much of an effect in modern. Proliferating won't matter enough. Uh, it's just basically a damage source, and it's too expensive for a damage source. Even the busted swords don't see modern play. True, very true. And these these are significantly weaker than you know feast and famine, fire ice, even war and peace. Right. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think this is just a a big step down in power level. I think that's a fine place to be, mm-hmm. uh, but it just means that these aren't really going to be seeing any play. Yep. So let's talk about the other one: sword of sinew and steel. <laughs> Three mana, two to equip. Uh, equip creature gets plus two, plus two, and pro red, pro black. Whenever equip creature deals combat damage to a player, destroy up to one target planeswalker and up to one target artifact. What's so narrow? Super narrow. Incredibly narrow, which is, again, a complete 180 from the way these swords used to be. And even like if I could sculpt the ideal situation to play <laughs> this card, like the, the deck I'm playing this card against, it's still not even that good. So just a pass on this one. I don't know what we're supposed to be doing with this. Guess we'll see if the cycle completes and maybe gets back to its former glory, but neither of these are going to be hits. And next up we have uh, a cycle of enemy colored talismans, which is kind of nice completing the cycle from OG Mirrodin and Talismans have occasionally seen play in modern, not very much. There, there's a, a dude that I know through other people. We have like mutual friends. Charlie the Banana King on Magic Online currently has two talisman of progress in his blue white control deck, and it's like, oh, okay, yeah, I forgot those were kind of still around. Yeah, I've played talismans in the past. Uh, I think like blue white Tron was the main home for them. Sometimes they were just better than the signets. I don't know. There'll there'll be a use for these somewhere. It's good to complete the cycle. Uh, Don't expect a ton of play, but at some point, these will matter. Yep. Uh, Next up, Mox Tantalite. Mythic artifacts, no mana cost. Can suspend three for zero and tap to add one mana of any color. I don't know what this card's supposed to do, Jerry. I don't know how this can matter. 
you don't want to spend your as foretold drop casting this card doesn't really do a whole lot for you although it's nice that you can do it immediately but hopefully you're doing something more busted than that and i think just like suspending it on turn one and getting it on turn four who does that matter for like who really benefits from that who can afford to be down the card as well that's the other question i I guess like there's very little opportunity cost if you're not a critical mass deck like you're not giving up a whole bunch by playing that Mox Tantalite, and then you head into your fifth turn with a nice little mana boost. But it's such a late boost, though, for a it's, ramp. It's very late. It's very late. Fourth turn, I should say, not fifth turn. Because um, it'll yeah, kind of spend on turn four. Lotus Bloom makes sense because it's like, okay, yeah, I'll chill here Huge until turn four. Bump. Yeah. And then I'll do something busted, right? But yeah, this card doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Doing the As Foretold stuff doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, the Mox Opal decks would prefer this artifact to be there immediately. I think this is just like, you know, hey, the expectation is there's a Mox in this set, right? Because it's this this weird throwback thing. Right. But this is the worst one that we've gotten. Running out of Moxes. That's, what, that's how this read, reads <laughs> to me. It, it's funny. Like, this is arguably worse than Mox Amber, which is in standard right now. So surprisingly underwhelming card as i see it thus far we'll see it maybe it'll prove me wrong and i'll be eating my words in a few weeks as we do with all moxes eventually but i don't see it right now i doubt it i think you're safe okay last artifact arkham's astrolab is it lab i think it's lab but asking me for pronunciation advice is probably the worst move you could possibly make well right i just i would just go with the opposite of whatever you said Good idea, yeah. All right, Astrolab. <laughs> a single snow <laughs> mana for a snow artifact. When this enters the battlefield, draw a card, and you can pay one tap and add one mana of any color. This card's kind of busted. Like, one mana eggs are basically unheard of. And it requires a huge sacrifice. Like, you have to have snow mana. But if you're playing this in your deck, you have... You've checked that box. You will have your snow mana, I'm quite sure. And then what kind of busted nonsense can you get up to with a one mana egg? And not only a one mana egg, but just another egg. Like the more eggs you have, the better this type of stuff goes. Uh, So there's open the vaults. There's things like that. Historically, nowhere near good enough for modern play. But when you get enough of this type of effect, you have to start asking questions. And I also think this is just an important piece in the kind of five color snow archetype and any snow-based control deck that's going to exist probably plays Astrolabe because it's such a low cost to play. Right. And again, this is a, another snow permanent that, right. you know, just, just kind of sits there. And if you're trying to fix your mana with Prismatic Vista or whatever the the basic fetch, then this helps your mana too. Uh, I, I think a lot of people look at this and they're just like, oh, this, you know, what does this do? doesn't really do anything, but it's like kind of busted in a few different ways. Yeah, I think this might be the best snow card we've seen thus far. And like every other, it depends on other snow cards around it. But this is the one that actually enables those cards. Like finally, there's some way to get this stuff going. Uh, Certainly, this card will be a huge part of any snow strategies and maybe can see play outside of that. Maybe it requires retooling some mana bases uh, to make eggs type stuff work. Yeah, maybe. On the lands, we have Hall of Heliod's Generosity, a legendary land. Taps for colorless, and you can pay one dub and tap it to put target enchantment card from your graveyard on top of your library. So, Enchantment Academy Ruins, kind of cute. 
It's cute. I don't think it's going to matter anywhere near as much as Academy Ruins, though. That's the difference between enchantments and artifacts is that artifacts are often set up with abilities that send them to the graveyard, whereas enchantments kind of stay put for the most part. I'm trying to think of like the most widely sacrificed enchantments and nothing is immediately rushing to mind. I'll do an enchantment search, see if anything has me really excited to play Hall of Heliod's Generosity. Nothing's springing to mind right now, though. Yeah, me either. Like you said, the enchantments just kind of chill there. The artifacts are like Tormod scripting them or engineered explosivesing them or mind slavering mm-hmm. them or whatever. Like, I, I'm not sure what this does really. I don't know. Time to go to gatherer. All right. Uh, last thing. I was wrong. We have cycle lands. Yeah, you were concerned about these on power level that you thought maybe they were a little bit too good for modern. And... I said they're the right kind of broken. They enable mostly fair stuff going on. Life from the Loam uh, card draw engines are one thing. Obviously, we have Ren and Six. What do you think? Are you still frightened about the presence of the cycling lands in Modern? I am frightened by how awful the play patterns are with these in Life from the Loam. Okay. From just like a time perspective? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, In In Old Extended, it was a huge issue. Yeah. But anyway, I guess with with the astral slide in the set, it does make a lot of sense for these to be there because otherwise, you know, what the hell are Can't we work. doing? Right. Right. So, yeah, totally does make sense. And then, yeah, you look at like Ren and Six and like these lands and graveyard cards, like having these does make a lot of sense. I can't wait to start building around these cards. I don't know if I've talked about this before, but the first legacy deck I ever played was Agro Loam. Uh, it was a horrible, horrible legacy deck but a lot of fun. And I wonder if you can mirror some of the play patterns that were present in that. It was kind of like a chalice deck that then just had uh, Dark Confidants and Tarmogoyfs and eventually got to Loam Seismic Assault. And if I can do that again in modern, man, does that sound fun. I want a PTQ with Aggro Loam, but also had like Terravore, Devastating Dreams, mm-hmm. Cabal yeah, Therapy. Mm-hmm. Like the disruption matters a lot, right? Because you're just like this, this red-green... Uh, I'm going to like lightning bolt your creature, shock your creature kind of deck, and then just like sit there and draw some cards. Like, I guess the the thing that you do have going for it is that like you just get to play ghost quarters, which is sick. Yeah, very, very impactful, uh, especially considering the present modern mana bases and how important they are too. how many decks just live on their mana base. Like that's everything they're about. So it'll be interesting to see what we can get out of these cards. I I do think they have a chance to actually shift the format and enable a fair deck, quote unquote fair, I say about the deck that's going to draw three cards every turn and, you know, throw its lands at your face until you're dead in a very short order. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy this play pattern is going to make its way into modern. The only concern is the time one, which is real, but we'll see. It can't be more than like, 5% 5% of the metagame. And in that case, some of your fears go away a little bit. If it's not everyone doing this type of stuff, it's not as painful. That is fair, but all it takes is one person to make uh, each round of a tournament take 10 minutes longer, you know? You are correct. Hopefully, I will not be that person. I'll try and speed it up. I'm sorry. Yeah, do me a favor. If, before you ever play this in a live tournament, try to work on your mechanics. We're going to have a mechanics boot camp someday, Jerry. And I'm being honest about this. Like, I think it's important that someone actually sit me down and tell me ways to more quickly, efficiently, 
handle my cards. Like you could say them to me. That's not going to do anything though. I need you to like show me, say, no, grab your cards like this idiot. So you stop looking like a fool while they're (laughs) shuffling around in your hands and then maybe it'll stick and I can start to speed up a little bit. Yo, I am down for this. Let's do it. Okay. Maybe we can even like uh, record it as a service to our listeners. We'll do Jerry's boot camp for mechanics. I've, I've basically been giving uh, Rossum the, <laughs> this whole thing where, you know, it's like he, he has his deck on the left, but draws with his right hand. Mm-hmm. So he has to like reach across the table every time to draw a single card. And then he'll play decks like, you know, Esper or Jeskai or whatever that draw plenty of cards. Right. And it just takes forever. You could just have your deck on the right side and then you just draw a card instantaneously. So easy. I don't, th- I don't think I have that one. I think I d- do draw with my left hand while keeping my deck on the left side. But there's, I'm sure there's something on the way from my deck to my hand that I'm not doing efficiently. Oh, yeah. We'll figure it out. I'm all about peak efficiency. Cool. Okay. So that wraps it up for MH1 previews for this week. And uh, we have about 100 cards left. Could be anything in there. I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like they're not particularly front-loaded, although we do have most of the mythics at this point. But it feels like the rares are kind of hitting a little bit harder than the mythics. And like we said, there's a lot of cycles in the set that really need the entirety before we can evaluate them. So I'm expecting more hits to come even as we reach the tail end of the modern horizons spoilers. Where's your excitement level at right now, Jerry on a scale of one to 10. So I like brewing and building decks, obviously and making content and stuff. So I, I think I'm pretty excited just because I have a lot of stuff to think about, but Mm -hmm. I'm not sure like what my tournament schedule is going to be for the next year or so. So I'm actually just not sure when I'm going to be able to put these cards into play. Yeah, that's a fair question. Well, hopefully you get some modern events booked and we'll have a chance to play with them. Maybe you could just go uh, qualify for the SCG Players Championship since you're not broadcasting the events anymore. Uh, Well, I could do that, but one of the reasons I stopped doing it was that (laughs) I won't have to go to those tournaments. But... Who knows? Maybe I'll just spike the invitational in a couple weeks and it'll just be easy. There you go. That's the spirit. All right. Every weekend or every week, we take a question from our discord and we pick the best one as decided by us, mail them something cool as a reward for helping us to make sweet content. And this week we have selected a question from DT Lurch who asks, what would it take to want to put together an arena deckless team? Well, to want to or to actually do it? Because, I mean, I, I want to already. That would be something very cool. It's just in a world with finite time and resources, it's not high enough up on my priority list right now. But to have the chance to kind of redefine the team paradigm in Magic would be super exciting mostly because I think it's just not very good presently. There's no infrastructure. There's no actual value in most cases to being part of a team short of the two weeks that you lock yourself away and test before an MCQ. Or I I mean, when you talk about teams on the SCG tour, I'm not even sure that type of environment exists. I think there are players who have relationships with each other, but that's not necessarily what the team is about. It's just working against everyone else. But that's that's fine. That's not really the problem with present Magic teams. The problem is there's just no 
organization. There's no infrastructure. There's no drive. There's no coaching. There's no scheduling. It's it's just people who want to work with each other. And in some cases, don't want to work with each other. That's the biggest problem with teams is that I think there's instances of folks who just don't really get along and they're kind of forcing themselves into these scenarios to work with one another. That's never going to be a recipe for success. Uh, there has to be, if not friendship, certainly mutual respect. And I've, I've seen that lacking in many teams I've been on in the past. So a chance to start that over and really bring a group of people together who were focused on the same goals, who saw things the same way I did, could be real exciting. It's not at the top of my to-do list right now, though, Jerry. How about yours? Uh, It's something I've thought about a lot where I like the coach aspect. I like the coach role, and I've certainly been on a lot of teams where it's like these certain things are being handled so poorly. I, I wish that I could just mandate that they get fixed or whatever, but there's no reason for people to actually listen to me or believe me when I'm just, you know, they're pure, they're equal on the team. Right. And I, I think for, you know, the, the pro tour crowd, GPs, SCGs, whatever, like I am in a position where I'm pretty good friends with everyone, but I'm not like super close with anyone. And that basically leads to me like, you know, not being on teams and like not being in like these super tight knit clicks and everything if I were to handpick a team, it would be people who I know and respect and I think would be good teammates, but then they would end up on a team with people that didn't necessarily know each other, right? Uh, whereas mm-hmm. you look at the folks who are on like CFB or uh, Genesis or whatever, and it's like they they are on a team because they are all friends with each other, and that is great. Uh, but then it's like, oh, hey, my random friend qualified. Can we add them to the team or whatever? And it's just like... Yeah, sure. It's like your friend, not ours. Like it just introduces these weird situations. But uh, as far as like, you know, like an SCG team where uh, we sponsor a team to get the word out for our podcast or our content or whatever, I, I think that is reasonable. But as far as like what it's actually worth, I think it is very, very low. And yes. the the numbers are just not big enough on magic to convince sponsors to actually pay to, you know, try and advertise through us. Like I would feel bad and dishonest about trying to recruit people to be a sponsor for my effective esports team. Right. Because it it just doesn't make any sense for anyone to want to do that unless they're just paying pennies at which point it's like, why are the players involved in this? You know? Yes. I have actually a really telling story about exactly what you're talking about. And this goes back a little bit. So things have certainly changed. And I don't know. Let me just tell the story and you can take from it what you will. So PT PT Valencia, one of my friends sponsored our team. And my friend had a burgeoning store and had just kind of got set up. Just started its internet presence, essentially. And so... You know, it wasn't much of a sponsorship deal. Basically, hooked us up with some cards, uh, very little investment from them, but we were all friends with the owner, and basically, we were doing each other a solid, nothing real formal. But regardless, we go to this PT, and actually, our team was the best performing team in the whole PT. We had the best record, and so there was like a whole write up about that, how we were the top performing team, and you know, there were feature matches where we were on camera and all this stuff for 
an organization which really didn't have any footprint. And so we were able to just go and look at the traffic on the website because it was so small at that point, any bump would be immediately noticeable. Right. It was almost non-existent. Like there was some, (laughs) you could see it, but I'm talking about going from like 10 hits to 30 hits. Like it was, it was not a dramatic, dramatic effect despite having on-camera features, despite having this whole write-up on the mothership about how we were the best performing team. None of it translated into anything significant. And I think that's kind of the problem as it stands right now is that even if you are getting eyeballs, none of it's translating. And I, I can't see from an investment standpoint us matching uh, what, quite frankly, what some of these other teams are doing in the same space. Because I, I don't think they're getting their money's worth. I think they're making a poor investment, quite frankly. And, uh, you know, maybe maybe I'm wrong. I don't have all the data. And I've certainly been wrong in the past. But something would have to change before we got into the pure sponsorship business. I like it more from a management standpoint, like helping people achieve their goals. And you mentioned like these personality clashes, but that's what good infrastructure fix. Like, like it wasn't like the people on C9 were good friends before the team came together, the infrastructure and the way the team is set up, enable them to form bonds, enable them to form friendships. Right. Uh, But that's when it's worth it. I don't even know if that's true. That's when it's worth it for them to sign up to for like a full time job playing of esports competitively, right? What, of if I'm just like, hey, I want six people or ten people or whatever for my magic team, y'all have to work together for PTs or whatever. It's just like, no, screw that. Like, I'm not going to take your crappy sponsorship deal. I'll just go work with my friends, and everything right. will be much better. Right. Where there, where there's more money coming into the game now, I think probably this topic deserves revisiting. Now, granted. A very small portion of the Magic Plane uh, community is getting any access to that money whatsoever. So it's I'm kind of just like talking about an MPL only team because nobody else is incentivized to do it. But then there's a lot of existing structures already in place around those teams. And I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever see like a, a formal team uh, with a little bit more infrastructure for the players that are competing on that stage. But I, I think people would benefit from it, quite frankly. Probably. One of the things that I've thought about uh, that I do think could have some amount of merit is just like sponsoring individual players where it's just Mm -hmm. like, you know, something small, I'll, you know, give you some per diem or whatever and a T-shirt and whatever. And just like, if you can shout me out, cool, right? Just like something very, very low key. And I think that that could potentially be worth it for both parties. But as far as like trying to get like a team together and be like, oh, yeah, like team arena decklist is kicking ass or whatever and have that be the narrative. I don't think that's right. I think for it to be like a a few key people who actually have eyeballs and they're just like, yeah, I listen to this podcast. It's very good. I just won this open or whatever. Like you could also go listen to it. I, I think that might be worth it. But. Again, like that's just something I haven't pulled the trigger on yet because uh, I think it would be cool, but realistically, uh, probably not worth it. Right. Well, let's see if that changes as magic continues to change and evolve. Maybe someday it will be, and then we can get into that space too. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm certainly down. I'm always uh, keeping my eyes open and uh, paying attention to like what is going on with like teams and orgs and stuff like that. Uh, paying attention to 
OP and like what the space looks like and whether or not there is any room for this. But mm-hmm. right now it, it doesn't really seem to be like that. And then as far as like, maybe I could like sponsor a streamer or whatever, it's like, well, the streaming market is already pretty bogged down with like all the MPL people entering the, the infrastructure and everything. So I don't know. I think you're right. We should probably just sponsor ourselves. We can make some more content. Get on those deck techs, Jerry. And I, I promise you, if you start making deck techs, I know people at Arena Decklist. They will definitely sponsor you. Oh, wow. You got an in? You, kn- you know a guy? Big hookup there. Damn, dude. I didn't know. That's game. Good luck.